Welcome back to the Project 24 Blogging Podcast. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on uh, November 1st. Wow, the yeah. year's going by fast. I know. What happened to October? <laughs> I think we say that every year. Well, the year's <laughs> going by fast, <laughs> you know. I feel that way about like every month. Yes. Um, September started and next thing I knew it was October. And yeah. now I'm like, where's October? Right. It's gone. Sorry. See you next year. Okay, so today we are going to talk about something that we've gotten a lot of questions about recently, and that is our Cook for Folks website. And currently, we are actually, well, a new video is out today, uh-huh. um, the first of a three three of them, um, a series, and we wanted to talk a little bit about it. We're going to kind of expand on it today um, past the YouTube videos, and right. so... Yeah, let's talk a little bit about it. I know a lot of people have questions about the Google updates, and we aren't necessarily immune to that either. But we want to go back, I guess, to the beginning of like the inception of Cook for Folks. (laughs) Uh, We talked about it in the video today, but kind of what happened to it. So yeah, let's go ahead. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot there. So, I mean, the story of Cook for Folks, I mean, it really goes way back. So um, something you'll see in the video, I I share a little bit. In fact, um, I think in the third video, I talk a little bit more about this too. But originally, we started making niche websites. Mm-hmm. Um, we called them niche sites. And um, by the way, I still, it's fine to pronounce the word either way. <laughs> but um, yep. I will always argue that. Yeah. Um, no, but we would build these sites and the point of the niche website is to be focused on one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're usually pretty small sites, not a ton of content focused on something very specific. So pontoon guide was an example. Pontoon boats is a small segment of the boating niche, which is a small segment of water sports, mm-hmm. um, which like boating, there's, there's aspects of boating for fishing. There's water skiing and, and that kind of stuff. There's just like, recreation with family there's mm-hmm. just boating there's speed boating there's i mean Hail like boating yeah and then boats. get into the other boats and yeah there's so much right so you know pontoon boats was just one thing and um you know same thing with uh, the knife up website it was very much focused on pocket knives um not even so much just like everyday carry just like mostly just about pocket knives um even improved photography that grew into a pretty big site was focused on certain aspects of photography. Mm-hmm. It wasn't everything photography. And even that wasn't a niche site. It grew into more of an authority website. We don't really distinguish anymore. We don't talk about, oh, let's build niche sites. We build websites. They usually start out kind of as a niche site. And then we, they grow mm-hmm. and oftentimes become authority sites or they don't. And we grow a portfolio of sites. I mean, there's a lot of ways to go about it. But the difference between the two isn't easily distinguishable. It's just like an authority site is a, is a bigger niche site where you, you brought in the niche. So anyway, there's a little bit of history there. Every, it was really focused on smaller niches. Then we, um, we opened our creator studio the first time and we started our first website there. And it was about pet snakes. <laughs> and we we had our writers write like 100 articles about pet snakes. And guess what? 
it started working pretty well and pretty fast. But if you think about it, like pet snakes is a fairly small niche within pets Mm -hmm. and a hundred articles covered the topic pretty well. But then we decided, well, let's do other pets and let's turn it into a bigger website. So we moved that content to Embora Pets and we started adding other pets and we added them one pet at a time, right? It was like, well, here's 30 or 40 articles about axolotls and here's 30 articles about um, a certain breed of cats, right? Here's here's 40 articles about poodles. (laughs) And that was the approach we took. It was very much like category by category and the search analysis course back then had what we called the brand plan, mm-hmm. where we picked a category, we came up with articles within that category, and then we wrote them. Well, something happened. After a while, we'd been doing that. It was working. We were getting lots of traffic. We did the same thing with Outdoor Troop, by the way. We took content we already had from Cabin Freedom. Um, we bought a site from a friend about repelling. We... Uh, we took a lot of our outdoor content. We we didn't take Dirt, dirt Bike Planet, but we took a lot of our other outdoors content, put it onto Outdoor Troop, and then went Outdoor Sport one by one by one and added them with 30 to 50 articles in each one at a time. And then those were doing really well, and we were getting content way faster than we could handle it, and we were like, let's slow down. And then we thought, well, let's sell these sites and let's start new again. Um, we proved this worked. We can do big sites. Great. So we sold all of them. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and there's a video about that. There if you'd is. like to go check that well, out. Again. <laughs> you, so the video, yeah, there is a video about the selling of the sites. And then there's a video months later about starting our first site, which was Cook for Folks. Um, and it took us several months to really start Cook for Folks after we sold those sites because we sold those sites right around the same time we hired Anna, we hired Nate, we hired, um, Nathan was still fairly new. Mm-hmm. Um, we were growing our team. We were doing a lot of things. Uh, and so finally, it's like eight months later and we're starting a new site. We start Cook for Folks. We immediately are public about it, which nobody will do because you're just inviting crazy competition, which we've had. But this time... There was a nuanced difference in the way we approached the search analysis. We didn't do the brand plan. Mm -hmm. We just said, well, our niche is cooking for groups. And we just started from there. And if we look at the first batch of search analysis, it's like 100 articles. Mm -hmm. Um, We reopened our creator studio. Um, So we had brand new writers, brand new team leaders. We trained the team leaders um, on writing answer targets. We trained them on our whole process. But they were brand new. And we had them write 100 articles. And most of those articles, like I've just been going through battle shipping, they just completely don't perform at all. Mm-hmm. So that's 100 articles on that website that are basically wasted with a few exceptions. Some of them have done really well, but most of them didn't. But it also just covers a very, very broad topic. Cooking for groups. Mm-hmm. Wow, Okay. There are a bunch of articles on there like what's the difference between mm-hmm. and then have two different food types that people confuse all the time. Those articles get like zero traffic. Um, yep. We're talking like six page views a month maybe. Mm. Some like four and some literally zero. So it didn't work. And the biggest difference was no brand plan. And 
the blogging course that we put out a year and a half ago that we were we have this new this updated search analysis where Jim introduced the trends method and all these things it skipped the brand plan and i asked jim about it back then and said we're not like where's the brand plan and he said i think we need to get right to search queries if we find low competition queries and write the best content we should rank that was the theory um and that was the approach that we'd used with cook for folks and a few other sites we started at the same time and after several months it wasn't working the same we were getting traffic on our on cook for folks but um a lot of that was because we put you anna we put you on it mm-hmm. and and actually we didn't even wait super long before we did that yep but like you were doing original research you were actually working on it we put a logo on it we lived in that site we made it yep. real but we didn't used to have to do all that mm-hmm. with embora pets there's like no face ever associated with that website it was like clearly written by a whole bunch of different authors we didn't have to do that and what was the difference no brand plan um we've addressed that in our blogging system um the update we made this year goes beyond the brand plan and focuses a lot on topical authority this is the thing that was missed this was we we experiment on our site so you don't have to unfortunately that experiment made it into the blogging course before we had proven it mm-hmm. and that experiment the proof is that it failed mm-hmm. and and that's okay experiments are going to fail it shouldn't have updated we shouldn't have updated that in the teaching until after mm-hmm. we knew it was okay um, there was a hypothesis that it didn't matter topical authority didn't matter Nobody was even really talking much about topical authority by the way when this happened. So, um Jim just assumed that it would be okay. Uh that really it's just no, Google treats your different blog posts as separate things, um comparing them against other pieces of content, and as long as your website um has enough authority for the niche and you're not in a YMYL space, you're going to do just fine. We proved that wrong. And how do we prove it wrong? Not just with Cook for Folks. Mm-hmm. We had several other websites we started with 100 articles or so on each one. Not a single one of them has performed the way all of our sites would perform before. I don't think that's because of updated algorithms. I don't think it's because the landscape has changed so much that it's too competitive. Because we're seeing it work on Cook for Folks with the content that we did right. But I think we have over 100 articles on that website anchoring us down, mm-hmm. preventing us from succeeding because they don't add to the topical authority of the website. It's too diverse, it's too spread out. Yeah. So, that's where we're going. You, this is your 2 weeks ahead preview on video number 3 cuz that's the main conclusion I have of Cook for Folks. Yep. We didn't build topical authority which harms us from an authority standpoint. We needed to pick specific things. we needed to slice the content a few different ways like the way we even slice the content and even have the categories today to me doesn't make sense for building authority so here's what we have we have like food quantities cool but somebody who knows how many chips you need for a group for a barbecue is not necessarily an authority on like how many desserts you need for a wedding mm-hmm. they're so different right And so unless you're like a caterer that does all types of events 
there's nothing that ties those two together. It would have made a lot more sense to focus on either specific food types or I think what makes more sense would be to create content around event settings where large groups gather. Right. So if we created a bunch of content around the backyard barbecue, the cookout, um, as we'd call it in the South, because in the South barbecue, when I lived in the South, like if you said barbecue, it, it didn't mean like grilling burgers on the grill. <laughs> a barbecue is like barbecue. Making barbecue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there it's like, oh, we're having burgers. It's a cookout. Uh, so so there you are for, for those of you in, in the South. I'm, I'm going to say it right. Educating you. Yeah. <laughs> so the cookout. Um, a lot of us here would just call that like a barbecue. We're making mm-hmm. burgers. It's a barbecue. Yep. Um, but the backyard barbecue, like that's an event. Yeah. How much content could we write around planning for feeding a big group of people for an informal backyard barbecue? And then how much content could we create around, you know, self-catering weddings and content around holiday meals? Holidays, yeah. And I mean, if we had sliced the content that way, I think it would have made a lot more sense. And if we had had that concept in mind as we did the search analysis, I think all the content would be performing better. We would have a much more logical way to interlink all the articles. That's what we should have done from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So that's where we have to go now. But now we have to like clean it up, yep. take the content we have, try to group it, and decide what to do with all the rest of the content that doesn't fit anywhere. So here's my kind of long monologue almost <laughs> about Cook for Folks. I, yeah. We did it wrong. And we did the same thing on several other websites we started at the same time. And um, there was just the assumption was made that it wouldn't matter. Um, We have been teaching for a year now about topical authority on YouTube. Um, The blogging system was updated to fix that. Uh, In fact, once I realized this issue, months before we updated the blogging system, we put links in um, the blogging course pointing people to the old search analysis course that taught the brand plan because it was working better for people. People asked for it too. Yeah, people did. Yeah, it was better. It was easier to follow. It was that update wasn't wasn't helpful. It was actually it made things harder for new people. I yeah. there were things that that were included in that version that that were helpful to people, but mostly to people who were already doing it they already knew what we taught before and so then the new course just added to what they knew um to people who were coming through for the first time it added confusion and didn't give them the basis they needed so now we're back to where we started only a much more advanced way to approach it which is categories and clusters and grouping your content from the very beginning so that we make sure we're not covering too broad of a topic and that we're grouping content in logical ways where each article supports the other articles on the website as opposed to just having a whole bunch of standalone pieces of content trying to rank on their own. Yeah. That's the gist of it. That's Cook for Folks. And we're working on it now. Yeah. And we're going to fix it. Yeah. Cook for Folks has been hit by algorithm updates far more than any website we've ever built in the past. Um, and I think this is a big reason why. It looks like a whole bunch of content, so mass-produced content, probably written by a bunch of different people. Um, And I should say, Cook for Folks looks way better than the other websites that haven't been focused on. And Cook for Folks is succeeding better than most of them, but mostly because it gets that focus. And Anna, you're 
you're the one who's <laughs> behind that. Um, you. you were handed uh, something that had just a big flaw in it from the start, and you've made good <laughs> good progress with it. But now we're going to fix the foundational issue yeah. so that we can build. I think that's going to be an awesome site. Yeah. And it won't take us too long to get there. Yeah. And what is the recommendation for the amount of categories you should start planning in the beginning? Is it three? Yeah. Kind of at a time? I would say three. And I would even say like maybe even three like subcategories. So I'll use Cook for Folks as the example here. I might say that like one category on Cook for Folks might be events. Mm -hmm. It might be that I start off because I'm starting off so small that I, that I say, um, you know, one category is Thanksgiving dinner, one category is backyard barbecues or whatever. And, you know, one category is something else is another event type. And I'm just going to focus on that. But I think the better way would be to say, I'm going to pick three subcategories. So I'm going to say one category on my website is going to be events. And I'm eventually going to cover a bunch of different kinds. Um, and maybe I'll call it something other than events because event feels like like formal <laughs> parties yep. and things. But like, um, like I don't know, settings. Cooking Large settings, gatherings. Gatherings. Yep. I like gatherings. That's good. And so then under gatherings, I would have subcategories like, you know, um, you know, backyard gatherings or, you know, backyard mm -hmm. cookouts or just cookouts, you know. Um, and I would start with cookouts, that one subcategory. And I would write five to 10 blog posts in just that one. And then I would pick another subcategory, potentially even from a totally different category. So I might have one category that's just like, um, you know, cooking tips for large groups, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, it's more like cooking tips, but I might then within that have a subcategory that's just on, say, food handling or maybe, an, or maybe one on like, left like storing leftovers mm -hmm. because yeah. a lot of our food safety articles I think would fall into that it's and like they do really well they do we've yeah. had some great success with those articles and so I might say you know these these food safety articles are really more about like leftovers like what's safe is it safe to eat this spaghetti that got, that's yeah. a day old um or pizza that got left out <laughs> that kind of stuff um but I you know and I might start with that um and I might choose to write about some of the foods from the backyard cookouts if I'm right, if that's the subcategory over here I'm writing about. Because then I can actually link between the two categories, you know. Um, so if I talk to them about a backyard cookout and then I'm like, oh, and then dealing with leftovers, I have this other article about that over here. Mm -hmm. um, and then I might pick a third entirely different category on that website and a subcategory within that and write five or 10 articles in that one. The, the reason for this is I don't want to be too pigeonholed into one thing. I don't want, if my website isn't about events, then I don't just want to write about events. I want to share the other cooking tips too. I want to talk about food safety, you know, but if I only talk about food safety and I pick three subcategories that are all about food safety and I don't talk about anything else on the website, then I'm building up authority in food safety and nothing else. So I do want to pick a few and I want to see what works well. Um, but I, but those few should at least have, they should be related in some way. And um, in here, it's like, it's all about cooking for groups. And I can link between those categories. I can link between articles 
Um, they're they're clearly related, but I wouldn't want to go all in on just one category. Yeah. So. And this is part of a, a bigger story that, of course, we're going to be showing um, in the YouTube videos and here on the podcast. We'll yeah. continue to talk about it. But what I was going to mention is, you know, it's not too late for Cook for Folks. There's not more things all. we can do. It's early on, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, in Cook for Folks. Yeah. I still think there's huge potential for that website. And I'm yeah. excited for its future. Yep. And we're not even at two years yet, I believe. You know, we're getting yeah. close, I think, yep. in, in January. But yeah. yeah. Some, for some of you out there who think, you know, your website isn't doing quite as well as you'd like it to, there is still a chance. You might just have to adjust some things. Right. Yep. Yeah. Pivot. Like, yep. that's okay. If we need to do that, just do that. You haven't failed yet. Nope. You only fail once you gave up. Yeah. And then I will say, you know, I don't think this is the first time that you all have said, maybe when Jim was here, that we learn things the hard way so you guys don't have to. That's and right. I, this might be an example of that, you know. Hopefully we can uh yeah, rescue it and you all can learn a thing or two about it. And of course, start with the brand plan, which now we have in the blogging course that we released this year. That's really important. All right, awesome. Will, we'll get back to that, you know, in the following podcast. So, we have a little bit of Q&A here. The first one is from TKA Coach, and they say just joined and took the niche course, have a couple of questions I'd appreciate some advice on. I'm a confidence coach, and so my plan was to have the blog to accompany my business. The questions are, is confidence as a niche too YMYL? Is it too broad? Is it something I should steer clear of? If so, I'm a bit lost, really, because this is my area of expertise and passion. However, it's best to find out now from people who know rather than later down the line. All right. So confidence in and of itself doesn't feel overly YMYL, but it very easily branches into mental health, mm -hmm. which is. So that's something to consider. If it's an area where you have expertise mm -hmm. from a career, then you have real expertise. Lean on that. On the about page on your website, like even if you want to use a persona, like if I create a persona for a website, I like to use real information about me, but just with a different name. Um, to me, that's the honest way to do a persona. If you're going to use a persona and then invent credentials and invent a history with that person that's not real, then at that point, it's kind of just lying. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and, and if, you know, if you're in a niche where you need to rely on the expertise of actual experts that you interview, that's okay. Like, but call that out. Like in an article, say, you know, for this article I interviewed or I was, or I had the content reviewed by, you know, this person who's a doctor. Um, so from a YMYL standpoint, I don't, that's not my biggest concern. My biggest concern is within this space of confidence, really like, <laughs> this is a hard thing, really with like everything psychology, because it's not like a super hard science and there's still a lot of theory and stuff and different people have different approaches because it's not like a hard science. Uh, like my background is chemical engineering. Chemistry <laughs> is like, yes, we're still learning stuff, but like yeah. I know that at sea level, like water is going to boil at 212 degrees Fahrenheit or hundred Celsius. Like that's just what it does. You, nobody can debate that. But in psychology, there's a lot of 
nuance and just a lot of different approaches. And so with mental health, like different counselors have different sort of approaches. Mm-hmm. Everybody that has a counselor has to find it, you know, a, their therapist that like kind of fits with their, you know, their personal ethics and morals and, and even their own mindset. Like ev- sometimes you have to shop around to find yeah. a good therapist because everybody's a little bit different. So, um, so that there's a lot of opinion that can shine through. And so when you're making that kind of content, it's really easy to get so like to make a lot of content just about opinion. The other thing that happens is people make a lot of content about the things that they think people need to know, but that aren't the things that people are searching for. So like with confidence, what are the search queries that people are typing into search? That's what you have to write content for. Um, And so is it like how to be more confident? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you get, I mean, you should get more specific for sure. Like, you know, if you're talking about dating and it's like, mm-hmm. how do I talk to someone of the opposite gender when I'm shy? Mm-hmm. You know, like we can get more specific, but it's kind of hard. Like, what are the things people are actually typing? You know better than I do. It's your niche. Um but it can be hard to figure those out. And then you'll see that there's probably a lot of competition. Where I see the greatest success for this kind of content, honestly, is um, is when you can use social media to spread the word uh, and to get content in front of people that's interesting. Because then you don't have to just focus on the search. So for us, our favorite way to do this is YouTube. Um, most social media platforms don't really spread content very well unless you pay them to. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook used to spread content a lot more. Now, I only see things I'm not specifically following if somebody paid for it. Mm. <laughs> That's basically how the algorithm works today. So YouTube is a great platform for that. Um, I do see YouTube videos about confidence that come through yeah. um, fairly regularly. And the ones that are done well, like, yeah, I watch parts of those because I'm just like, oh yeah, that's cool. Um, and it's helpful or whatever. But like, I'm, I'm, I never go to Google and search how to be more confident about this or that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, because likely you're going to get something like even, well, say you're talking about how to speak publicly if I have anxiety or something, yeah. you might get like Healthline or WebMD or something like right. that because that's really YMYL. Yeah. So, so and that's the thing is it's like advice about how to do public speaking shouldn't need to be YMYL because it's not like a matter of life and death, you know, in any yeah. way. Like it's not going to harm my health if I don't get the perfect advice. But because very authoritative health websites do write that content, you're competing with some really big names. And those are the kinds of search queries you're going to get. Like, you know, how to have more confidence speaking to a big group. Yep. And uh, the competition is going to be stiff. So anyway, I, if this is your expertise and this is your passion, you can find a way to do it and to make a great income from it. If you, if there's, if you have any inclination to do it, I would start a YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, at very least, I would do a podcast mm-hmm. and um, use podcasts, interview other podcasters, interview bloggers, interview YouTubers, get interviewed by others. Um, that's how, by the way, in a podcast, that's the best way to spread the word about your podcast is you go be on other people's podcasts yeah. 
and talk about what you do and what you know. Um, and then their audience, some of them will come listen to you. Uh, but I would, I would, I would go that route. The blog is going to be good and helpful and supportive of those other um, platforms, but I think you're going to want to expand beyond just the blog. Yeah, and people search on YouTube, myself included, because they want to hear other people's personal experiences yes. with these types of things, rather than just getting one of those those websites or even a YouTube channel that is from a big organization. Yes. They want to listen to real people who have gone through the same experience because they want to relate to someone. And there's a way to get around that if you're a creator, because you know, you can say something like, I am not a doctor, I'm not a counselor, you know, but this right. is just my experience. So please don't uh, go copy my experience because everyone is different. Right. Um, but at the same time, people want to know what kind of road they took. And then hopefully they had some sort of success story. So it gives them some hope. Absolutely. I think that's a great idea, by the way, for interviewing people. You don't just have to like interview mental health professionals, interview successful people. And the success, I mean, start with people who are successful but not famous because it's going to be hard to get like, you know, super popular people on your podcast at first when you're brand new. But find someone who's succeeded in their field mm -hmm. in some way and interview them and talk about like what it took to get to where they are. Um, I think that's great because people are, people will be inspired by that and inspirational content I think that's like some of the easiest because informational content is hard. Yep. Like there's only so much stuff to say, but like people need to hear a hundred examples to figure it out for themselves. Um, and they're inspired by each example. And so they'll listen more and more and more and more, even if they know your seven step process to gain confidence. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so on to the next discussion from Giannis. And they say, well, it's got a couple of graphs here, so I'll tell you which post this is so you can go take a look at the graphs. But basically they say, this is what one of my site's 30-day traffic looks like. It's and there's drop. quite a big drop. Yeah, it's obviously got hit badly by the last update. However, the weirdest thing is the near absence of daily fluctuations. In comparison, here's another one of my sites, which kind of goes up and down um, but kind of rises at the end. And this one has the normal ups and downs. My other sites look similar as well. Really puzzled about what's going on uh, the first site, anyone seeing something similar. And the post is called Site Badly Hit by Update, but with little daily fluctuations. So, so I know a lot of people yeah. are going through this type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll talk in just a second about the algorithm updates, um, this particular one, but first I want to address the the fluctuation thing. Um, first of all, the fluctuations you're going to get for, on each site are going to vary um, day to day. I mean, just the normal variability is going to be different um, depending on what the niche is. But the thing that stands out the most to me uh, about these two graphs that we see here is the scale. The first graph goes from zero to 10,000. The second graph goes from zero to 2,500. So if you were to take the second graph and stretch it out to 10,000, but put it in the same amount of space, those, then each one of those drops or, or you know, bumps or whatever is going to be one-fourth the size that it currently is. Okay? So that's part of it is like your little, your daily, you know, blips that you see here 
they're they're being accentuated four times as much on the second graph as they are on the first graph. So keep that in mind. Um, I'm noticing at the very beginning of the first graph, you know, there's one day it's it's at one level, the next day it drops a little, the next day it goes up a bit. Mm-hmm. Well, if you were to magnify that four times as big because of the scale of the graph, that drop there would look a lot like some of the ones you have on the second graph. So that's number one. But number two is... Um, I find that the lower the traffic is on a website, the more it does fluctuate day to day. When your site is pretty small, you're relying on fewer articles probably driving more of your traffic. Whereas um, the, the more traffic you have on your website, it's probably being driven from more articles. So as daily fluctuations in the ranking of individual articles or um, even in just search volume from day to day for specific search queries you're ranking for, like that's going to be really noticeable on a site that is basically built off of two ranking articles. Um, And if you were to look at the analytics for these two graphs of these two different sites and look at, um, you know, how many articles you have getting more than even a hundred page views a month, the number of articles doing that on the first site is going to be substantially more than the number of articles doing that on the second site. I would guarantee it. And so you just have more articles. And so it's spreading out, that traffic across more articles. Now, sometimes you'll get a website that gets 10,000 page views a month or, or even 10,000 a day or whatever, um, where it's being driven by um, fewer articles. Like there's a few articles that just get a ton of traffic. Those are going to see a lot more variability. So anyway, the more different places that the traffic is coming from, the more level it's going to look. That's all I'm saying there. So I think that's a, probably a big difference between those two sites. Um, now, in terms of the drop, there's um, never just like a single or an easy answer when a site gets hit hard by an algorithm update. I mean, this one in particular looks like it's lost 60, 70% of its traffic. Um, like that's pretty, that can be pretty gut-wrenching. I mean, here, you're over 5,000 page views a day like that's you were getting solid traffic. Um, I mean, that's like what over 150,000 page views a month. And now you're down to a fraction of that. Like that's a pretty big, it's a pretty big deal. Um, when I see that, I want to check some things first and foremost, probably the first thing I'm doing is I'm going to probably Google search console. Now I might've said Google analytics before, Um, And I would want to see, even in Google Analytics, what I would want to see is like, is this just across the board? Is it a handful of articles that dropped a lot um, that just aren't in like the top 10 anymore? Or is it site-wide? In Google Search Console, we can look and see a bit more. So oftentimes what people will tell me is, I lost all this traffic, but I'm still ranking the same in the same position. I'm like, well, you're ranking in the same position for for what? Every article we have on our websites ranks for usually hundreds, sometimes well over a thousand different search queries. A lot of them are effectively the same thing, just different wordings, but like sometimes they're ranking for things we totally didn't write them for. Google does an algorithm update and it shakes things up. And some other article on the web maybe does a better job of answering that question that you were ranking for, um, even though it's not the main thing you were ranking for. 
And so you're still ranking number one or two or whatever for the primary search query you wrote each article for. But more and more of those little tangential queries that you used to rank for are being lost to somebody else who either wrote a better article or maybe they don't answer it any better than you do, but the algorithm update kind of shook it up. So, I mean, that I think is one of the biggest things that happens. I've seen that. I've seen that on sites. Um, I saw that on Cook for Folks in May. It was like, our main articles are still ranking where they were. It hasn't changed. But the number of search queries we're winning for went down um, for each article. So that's going to be a big driver. Um, and if that's the case, like, there's not a whole lot to, to do about that, Right. And so, I mean, it's not like, 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 what do you do to your website to fix that? The, so what I would do then is um, look historically at your search console data. It's, a, it's just like a treasure trove of data. <laughs> um, there's stuff maybe you're not ranking for anymore that you used to. But I would do, and I have a lesson on this in the blogging system on how to do this, but in search console, go to your articles, um, start at the top, the ones that get the most impressions. I would sort it by impressions um, in Search Console. And then click on those top articles that get the most impressions and see what search queries give them the most impressions. And what you're going to do is you're going to find those articles or those search queries, I should say. You're going to find those queries where you have a low click-through rate. Like you don't get very many clicks, very many views, but you get a lot of impressions. Here's what that tells me. Your article didn't match that query very well. But a ton of people saw it, which means that at some point you ranked well for it. But, I mean, obviously, you don't answer the question very well, um, or at least not as well as other content, so people didn't click on your article. But that tells you that there's a ton of search volume. So maybe now go write that article. It's a great way to expand your search analysis. You now have articles where you actually have good data from Google that says, in some cases, there are well over a thousand people who saw that article you wrote every single month. They scrolled past it, but they didn't click on it. Perfect. I need to go answer that search query now. Go write another article. Interlink from your existing content. Get that thing indexed immediately um, and get traffic to it right away. It's going gonna, it's gonna to start getting traffic right away. You're, and you can rank quickly. On a site like this that was getting over 150,000 page views a month, your content probably ranks like instantly almost. Mm -hmm. So go write those articles that you were getting lots of impressions but not a lot of clicks for. That's where I would start because a lot of those search queries are the ones you probably lost with this algorithm update. And beyond that, like I'm not changing a bunch of stuff on the website. These algorithm updates, sometimes they reverse. Sometimes it's not a reversal. Sometimes the update in the algorithm shakes things up a bit, but then the algorithm starts doing its job and resorting. Mm -hmm. And then it'll settle after a few weeks. And a lot of times you'll see some of your traffic at least just come back. Yep. So um, anyway, that's a lot of what I would do. I mean, there's probably not like a major technical SEO issue. If there were, you, you wouldn't have been ranking well before and suddenly lose a bunch of traffic now because of the algorithm update. So, um, yeah, I think the algorithm update every time, they're, they're going to shake a bunch of things up, yeah. um, and then the algorithm will start doing its job, and yeah. we'll get a bunch of it back. But 
I love Search Console. I, this, <laughs> it's full of so much awesome data. I think we need to use it more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was going to mention that, you know, sometimes Google is experimenting themselves and, <laughs> yeah. and then they kind of figure it out and things change up. So hope that's what we can hope for in all of this. Yeah. So we'll see. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the Project 24 blogging podcast and have a wonderful rest of your day. Project 24 is a product of Income School LLC. Results mentioned are not typical. The trademark Project 24 refers to the goal of some people to create a successful business in 24 months, but it's not a promise or guarantee of that success. Many online businesses fail because like any business, it requires hard work, skill, and dedication. Before making business decisions, consult financial and legal professionals licensed in your jurisdiction. So in short, the only person who can make your business successful is you. We are simply here to provide information to help you along the way.